Hey, 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 we are back. It's the time of the week that you have been waiting for. Welcome to the Text Lab from the Green Room at Vintage Grace Church. David and Kyle here, back for another week of the Text Lab. Kyle, it's good to be back. <laughs> I just love every week you come in hotter and hotter. I also love thinking about, you said, uh, this is what everybody's been waiting for. <laughs> that is very true. I just like thinking about people sitting around just waiting for the next podcast to drop. I know you're out there <laughs> and we appreciate the friends of the pod who have been waiting for this pod to drop. Yes. And we're digging into some juicy stuff here. This is the text lab where every single week we dive into what God has said to us through his word. Our hope is that you have a meaningful discussion and study and conversation about his word with your friends, with family, with your life group. And so we're going to be diving in to Romans 10, 1 through 4 this week. Kyle, Yes, so we've been moving slowly through Romans 9. And if you've been tracking with us in the sermons or in the podcast, you know, we've been talking about, Paul's been talking about how Israel has largely rejected Jesus and the Gentiles are embracing Christ. And right at the end of chapter nine, he's got this line where he describes, he's quoting the Old Testament, he describes Jesus as a stumbling stone for Israel. And so um, I, I think of Jesus like holding his arms out, ready to embrace Israel, but they trip over him because mm. they're chasing and pursuing something else. And so um, Paul's trying to articulate that they can't receive the gospel and they can't receive Christ. Um, and so so they trip over these ideas of God becoming human and offering salvation to all mankind as a free gift for those who put their faith in him. Um, and so today, I think what Paul's getting into is, is how did Israel miss Jesus? This is God's chosen people. They've been waiting for the Messiah for thousands of years. And so how could they miss him when he finally comes? Why did they trip over Jesus? So maybe we can let that question drive us as we work through this passage today. How did Israel reject and stumble over Jesus? You want to read the passage for us, Dave? Yes, let's dive in. We will start in verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So let's skip over verse one for a moment. That's kind of talking about Paul's heart for his Jewish brothers and sisters and really jump into kind of verse two, which is talking about why did Israel reject and stumble over Jesus? Where did they go wrong? And I think this is a really great question to wrestle with because a lot of times we come to the text and it's easy to kind of bash the Jewish religious leaders and those who see Christ and don't um, immediately follow him. But it actually can give us a lot of context into our own clues into our own context as we understand why they missed Christ for why do people miss Christ now, even in our own culture, in our own town and kind of what was going on in their understanding and basically kicking off their inverse too, that they are zealous for the wrong thing. Their zeal is misguided. Yeah. So it talks about, th this is really fascinating. He, he says, I bear witness. Like he's raising his hand saying, I, I can tell you this is true. These people are zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. And so these Israelites, leaders, anybody, they have a kind of zeal and passion for Yahweh, 
they would open up their Old Testament. They would read Genesis and say, yes, Yahweh is God, not Baal, you know, in our modern world, not Krishna, not Allah or whoever. Yahweh is God. But he's also saying that they acknowledge that Yahweh is God, but they don't have knowledge about how to have right relationship with him. Mm. And they're zealous for the wrong kinds of things. So they've got this passion. They wake up every day, but it's not leading them to Yahweh. It's actually leading them away from Yahweh and leading them to reject the gospel. And so that's what he begins to explain in verse three is that this misdirected zeal leaves them ignorant of right of the righteousness of God. So you were just reminding me, Dave, that what he's, what he's really getting at here is that they missed Jesus, which is what he just said at the end of chapter nine. They don't understand that in Christ, we find our righteousness. And instead what they're doing is they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. Um, so based on their ability to live under the law, they think that they can um, earn, manufacture, attain a kind of righteousness apart from Christ. Um, and then in, in verse four, he just says that doesn't work, that um, we are going to find our righteousness through Christ. Which is really interesting because what he's not saying is that they just needed more right, more knowledge. I think he's saying that they needed a different knowledge because it's not like these guys weren't smart. Yeah. Like, I mean, these were like the Jewish religious leaders. They were the scribes, they were the Pharisees, the Sadducees who had devoted their entire life to studying the Old Testament, their entire life to following the commands of the law, yet they still missed Christ. Yet somehow a thief on a cross who has incredibly little knowledge of God is told by Jesus that he will remember him in his kingdom. And so when Paul here is talking about knowledge, I think he's talking about a particular knowledge, which even mm. thinking about places in the Proverbs where there's references to wisdom and knowledge that have parallels to a logos that John talks about being Christ and a wisdom and a revelation thinking about knowledge as the revelation of salvation from God to us. That seems to be some of what might be in Paul's mind here. As we maybe ask him in just some of those questions of author's intent, of just what is the author intending to communicate to his audience? He's talking about a certain knowledge here. They had a zeal for God, but they were missing the certain knowledge, the certain knowledge of Christ, which would have been the most important thing for them to understand. I think Paul is really trying to make a point here about the necessity of Christ's righteousness for their salvation. There literally is just no other way. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It literally is just reality that you need Christ's righteousness to cover you in order to enter back into relationship with God, in order to be saved, in order to be sanctified. His righteousness has to enter into you and it has to cover you. It has to be imputed to you through Christ. And so he's talking about that's the knowledge that they that they missed. And not not because of for lack of study in some sense, not yeah. for lack of desire, not for lack of um, academic thought or even just a certain knowledge of scripture. It was a particular piece of knowledge that they didn't understand. And they were they were they were zealous for God, but not for Christ, which they ended up missing in the kingdom. Thoughts yeah, that stick good. out to you there, Kyle, of like as we're even thinking about that zeal and that knowledge that, yeah. that hits them. Well, two things. Just to touch on the, the knowing piece. Scripture, there, there's nuance here that is good to wrestle through, but Scripture is really clear that we need to know God in, in some kind of relational way, not just mm. know about God. So when we talk as Christians about knowing God, we're not saying that I know God the way that I know 
George Washington. Like I yeah. know some facts about George yes. Washington. Facts I could write a little paper about George Washington. I could I'd even read be, that paper. You what? I'd read that paper. I won't write it, but <laughs> I, I could even, I, yeah, I, I could be yes. really passionate about George Washington, but I do not know him. Mm. And scripture's inviting us into a relational knowing of God. So I, I think of John 17, where Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So he describes abundant life, eternal life as knowing God, yeah. not just knowing about God, but knowing God. And then in John 14, when Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, right before he teaches them about the spirit and abiding, he says this, he says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Mm. And so again, he's, he's using this relational kind of knowing and saying, yeah. as you come to know me, you will know the father. Yep. Yep. And I think thinking about even our own human relationships is a parallel that can be helpful to think about that. You can know a lot about your spouse, but that doesn't mean you actually know them in a relational way. If you just know facts about them, there's a different type of relational knowing, a transformational knowing that is experiential in some sense. It has worship that's connected to it. It has prayer that's connected to it. It has real being and that's connected to it as the spirit lives in you. There's a different type of knowing that is going on there than just knowing about someone. Yeah. So that's good. I think that's really important to hit that the invitation in scripture is to know God relationally. That's not to dismiss the importance of studying scripture or knowing yeah. theology and facts. All that matters, but it has to be married with this relational connection, relational knowing yes. that biblically is done through faith as we put our faith in Jesus. The other thing that I think is really significant to wrestle through here is this idea of zeal. So he says, I bear witness. They have zeal for God. They have zeal for Yahweh, but not according to knowledge. So this just makes me think that it's really important that our zeal has a rudder. It, like our zeal needs to be guided and directed by, the, by truth. Yeah. Because it's really easy to be zealous and passionate about things that are not ultimately important or sometimes are just outright trivial. Uh, I think that's one of the big dangers in the Christian life is that we grow to love and be passionate about trivial things and are honestly fairly apathetic towards the things that matter most. I know that's true in my own life. It's easy for me to feast on media and just nibble on scripture or to be so deeply committed to your sports team or this hobby or that hobby and less committed to the pursuit of God. Um, it made me think of I've, one of my friends wrote a book about apathy. So he's, you know, he's wrestling through things like apathy and zeal. And so he's got this quote and he says, this is Uche Anazor's book. He says, some things evoke passion in us while others induce a yawn. The paradox of apathy is that we care about things we don't really care about and don't care about things we do and our heart of hearts most deeply care about. We don't act on what we should act on and are awakened to things we should probably ignore. And he's just hitting on this idea that it's so easy for us to be zealous and passionate and so committed to a lot of trivial things and to be much less concerned with, committed to the things of God. And I just think, um, yeah, these Israelites, they are genuinely zealous for something. But what Paul's saying is they've just missed the mark. They've like run so hard, relentlessly after something that cannot save them. And I think when 
Paul, even in other different places of his writings, like First Corinthians 8, when he's talking about a knowledge that puffs up versus a love that builds up. And when places like Ezekiel 36 are talking about salvation coming that will turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, there's a piece there that hits on exactly what you talked about, that there's, there's possible for there to be knowledge, there's possible for there to be zeal. But it can be misguided into lots of different directions. And it really ultimately comes down to this place where knowledge and also then zeal and affections intertwine mm. and a heart change happens. Yep. And that heart of stone yep. goes to a heart of flesh. And that it's not just knowledge that puffs up, but it is knowledge and love together. It is grace and truth together that are intertwined, working, that bring about this new heart that ultimately is happening. And I think that's what part of what he is hitting at in the larger context of how did this Jewish community, how did these religiously devout Jews miss Jesus was because it wasn't both of those yeah. together. It wasn't zeal with a rudder. It was only that. And ultimately even places where they started to abuse the law in lots of different ways and an obsession with um, being clean or unclean that actually made for brought them to reject different people and obsession with keeping certain pieces of the law and that he gets into there in verse three, when talking ultimately Christ is in first four of Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I think he's again just pointing them back to you need Christ. He is ultimately the knowledge that you need for salvation and ultimately that knowledge that will lead to transformation, that will lead to a new and different heart that yeah. comes about. Okay, so that's making me think of this image in my head. I'm thinking of a boat. Like all of our lives are like this journey. We need zeal, which is like fuel for the boat. It's going to make the engine run. And if you don't have zeal, maybe we think of zeal not just as like emotionalism, but like a deep, relentless, abiding commitment to something. So we need we need that kind of zeal to fuel us. And we see that. We see people yeah. who have a deep, abiding, relentless commitment to sports, to hobbies, to all sorts of things. We need that for Christ. But we also need a rudder. And that's truth. Yeah. And And then as we've got this fuel and we've got this rudder, now we're ready to actually go pursue mm. Jesus. And if you're missing either, you're in trouble. If you don't have zeal and you're just full of apathy, yeah. you might just be stagnant. Yes. But if you don't have a rudder, you know, to, to Paul's point here, if you don't have a rudder, then your zeal, you might be fueled yes. and you might run hard, but it's misguided. Yes. And so you're going to go spend your life, but you're going to lose it, as yes. Jesus says. Yes. So I think that, yeah, I, I love that, that, that image of marrying and pairing together zeal with truth leads us to Jesus, who is the goal. Yes. So how do, what does it look like then to intentionally cultivate both the zeal for God yeah. in a worshipful sense and the rudder that is truth yeah. at the same time? When I think of cultivating zeal, it's, it's hard for me. I, I naturally think of zeal just as like someone who's amped and loud and <laughs> you know, expressive and emotional. But I, I don't think that's, I think there's a kind of a, there can be a sober, quiet mm. zeal. Like I'm thinking of an athlete who, professional athlete, they're waking up at, they've been waking up at 5 a.m. for decades of their life. I don't think that, I've been I don't doing think, it. yeah, I know you've been doing that. Yeah, you're still <laughs> going to get the NBA. I don't think that they're necessarily waking up at 5 a.m. with like a smile and right. just feeling amped, but there's this zeal to become excellent yeah. and they're committed and they're determined. And But what I think sparks that is love. Yeah. Or a deep belief of the importance of something. 
So I think if we want to nurture zeal for God, we need to think about what are the things that stir within us affection for God, things that help us to see him as worthy of treasuring above all else, things that just stir in us love for him. And as we go pursue those kinds of habits, practices, whatever it might be that stir in us affection and love for God, I think zeal follows. As, like, as, as love leads, zeal will follow. But then to your point, we need truth. And so that means I think we just have to have our noses in Scripture to ensure that we really are pursuing Christ and the things of God as they're presented in Scripture and not just what I wish God right, right. frame things to yep. be. And I think you actually see Paul modeling this. If you look at verse 1, he's talking to them, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Over 150 times throughout Scripture, Paul is continually referring to the church as brothers and sisters. In the Thessalonian church, he refers to them as, I was like a nursing mother Mm. with you and like little children. And he's this incredible uh, passion and affection for them. Yet he is very directly, very bluntly telling them that the Jewish religious leaders and them them themselves at times have just fully missed Christ. That he is the truth. He is the end of the law, as he puts it there in verse four, that is black and white. Yeah, he's doing it with such love and affection. I think he actually is modeling for us both that rudder that you talked about. That is the truth. Yet also that being full of, a, of affection. He's not walking in anger. He's not mocking them. He's not distancing himself from them. He loves them. He longs for them to be saved. And he approaches them in that manner, which is a really good model for us to follow. Yeah, so maybe as we think about our own life, the call from this passage is to be somebody who nurtures zeal for God, but ensures that there's a rudder. So we're, yeah. we're cultivating a deep love for God, doing whatever it is that helps us feel love and affection for God. So we wake up and there's this deep zeal, this commitment to him, but it's guided and channeled by truth. That's just us. But then as we go live in the world... We're going to bump into people who reject Jesus. And that could look like all sorts of things. It might look some, like somebody who thinks Jesus is a great teacher, but I just he's not for me. Or it could look like a, an atheist who is vehemently opposed. And then we, we see in Paul's heart something that is so important about how we respond to these kinds of people. And again, like you're, you're saying, he's not, he's not writing them off. He's not saying there's no hope for you anymore. You're too far gone. He's not distancing himself and saying, I want nothing to do with you. He is, his zeal is to see them saved and to come to know them. And I I just think that's really important for us because it is easy in the world to see somebody and think, maybe we don't even like say this out loud, but some part of our heart's like, they would never follow Jesus. Mm. We kind of write him off a little bit. Or to categorize somebody as an enemy, which Jesus calls us to love, but then we categorize them as an enemy and begin to justify unkind words or unkind treatment. Um, Sometimes we just don't want to be around people who aren't following Jesus. But Paul's modeling for us this very different heart, which is the heart of Jesus, which is to go be with those who don't know Christ, to love them. To your point, at times, maybe even bluntly having conversations about where they're at. Um, And I think it's so worth remembering that some of this community, for sure, not all of it, but, but some of the Jewish community had persecuted Paul himself Mm. and Paul's friends. And still his heart is to love them and reach them and see them know Jesus. 
Um, and again, I think that's because Paul has passion for the things of God and a rudder in the form of truth that's directing him to embrace the way of Jesus. So again, I think in our own lives, we need, we need passion. We need a deep love and commitment for Christ. We need truth to guide that. And then we want to have this heart that sees those who have rejected God, not as people to write off or be distant from, but people to go press towards them. I love Passion that. with a rudder. Passion with a rudder. Hey, well, listener, whether you are working out at the gym, cleaning the house or mowing the lawn, whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, we hope playing you Lego. feel... Playing Legos? I learned from watching uh, Brickmaster, the Lego, Lego reality TV show, that the plural of Lego is Lego, which is... It's not Legos. That will be maybe in the next podcast. Which I find very uncomfortable, but that's what the Lego people said. That's incredible. And as a dad, you might be playing Legos while you listen to this podcast. Whatever you like to do, our hope is that you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to dive deeper into the text this week. As always, uh, as you're leading conversations, do your own prep um, and just, yeah, get your own uh, nose and heart in, in, in the scriptures. We love you all. We'll catch you next time on the text.